Hi everyone, Fraser here. So this is a bonus episode on the podcast. This is an interview with me on the Street Epistemology call-in show. And if you're not familiar with street epistemology, it's kind of a technique to help people understand their position, understand the the evidence that they have that builds their position. And so this was a chance for me to defend my opinion that we are alone in the observable universe. And it was useful to me because I was able to figure out a few better ways to word how I feel, some places to sort of really define exactly what claim I'm defending and which things I'm not. So if you enjoyed this, you may want to check out the Street Epistemology YouTube channel and just the idea of street epistemology in general. It's a it's a very uh, non-confrontational way of engaging with people who maybe disagree with you and have claims that you might not agree with but you can understand why they feel the way they feel. So it was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoy. Ooh, we could be live right now. We are live. We are live. Yay. Yay. Welcome to the Street Epistemology call-in show on Saturday between the two practices on the Discord. Today, we have a very special guest. Uh, I'm going to try not to fangirl here too much because I've been watching Frazier here for many years uh, as part of my edutainment uh, in space and things of science. So it's a real delight for me to have Frazier on as our our first caller. Frazier, do you have a claim that you would like us to explore with you? Sure, sure. And, I mean, should I, should actually, I mention I'm who doing I am? it in the wrong order. Yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. order. Thank you for fixing. Yeah, okay, me. all right, no problem. Are you not edutained? Um, I'm so I'm Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today, which is a space and astronomy news website. I've been running this website for 23 years now. We have tens of thousands of news articles about space and astronomy. I do a YouTube channel. Uh, with, again, hundreds and hundreds of videos about news and stuff in space. I'm the co-host of the Astronomy Cast podcast, where we cover one different topic every week in space and astronomy. And and that's, yeah, I guess, I guess that's my life. Um, so a claim, sure. Yeah, so I think, I believe that we are the only intelligent civilization in the observable universe. That is my Ooh. that is my belief. Wow, the only one in the observable universe. Okay, yeah. so let me let me see if I'm making sure I understand the terms. Intelligent civilization. Well, what would yeah, be the I, limit of that? Would that be the well, I mean, obviously, or they have radio telescopes or. Yeah, I mean, people would people would you know we'll have a field day saying, well, we're not even intelligent. So fine, mm-hmm. um, uh, we're not know, even a Kardashev one. A technological civilization capable of tool use, like just like what, like humans versus um, other fairly intelligent species on planet Earth. And, you know, I I wouldn't give you a firm definition, but capable of spaceflight, technology, computers, Mm. things like that. So spaceflight communications. Cool. Yeah. Um, so what reasons 
first of all, have you have you thought this for a long time? Is this a recent uh, uh, belief? It's, I would say, for the last maybe ten years or so. Okay, so yeah. about ten years. Can you point at um, any particular piece of evidence that knocked you over the the edge that convinced you from you're not sure to your current position? Yeah, well, the, I mean, there's this classic idea of the Fermi paradox, this idea that the universe is big, it's old, that the second that life formed on Earth, it took off and essentially filled every single biological niche on the planet. And, and so life should be everywhere. And, and when you think about it in that way, then there's a lot of counter arguments that you can have you can say well you know like things are really far apart and we have we've barely started to look and so on but the part that fermi was really getting at when he originally proposed the paradox was not that not that that there should have been life arisen everywhere across the universe but that at a certain point uh technological civilization is capable of moving from star system to star system they will eventually develop the technology to shift from star system to star system so you can imagine some self-replicating robot probes that humanity will create in the next few hundred years probably that would be capable of going even a very slow portion of the speed of light to go to other star systems and then they go to other star systems and you can send through sort of exponential growth, you can send a spacecraft to every single star system in the entire Milky Way in about 10 million years. And so this 10 million year time period has existed, you know, for billion, there's been many chances for, for one civilization anywhere on in the entire Milky Way to have been able to spread out to the entire galaxy. And, and the analogy that I always like to use is, Imagine you have a sandwich and you have one little drop of mold somewhere on the sandwich and you come back a week later and the mold is everywhere on the sandwich. So it doesn't matter where the mold starts. It doesn't matter where the civilization starts. It should have been able to spread out and essentially settle every single nook and cranny of this entire galaxy. And so the evidence of life out in the universe should be as obvious to us as evidence of life on planet earth. We see it everywhere. And yet we don't see it as we look out into the universe. And for me, you know, there are a bunch of possible answers to it, but the one that feels most likely to me is that we're alone or that we're first. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was wondering um, whether you mean, you know, concurrent intelligent life or is there the possibility or are you ruling out the possibility that there was civilization that is gone by the wayside i i am things? ruling that out because okay. because like once life gets going then it will continue to expand and grow and even if in you know one part you know even if a tree dies in one corner of the forest other trees rise to take its place okay And to clarify the last word, you had said in the universe, and you really mean in the universe, not just our galaxy, right? Yeah. So, so one of the ideas is that as a civilization settles their entire galaxy, they will make changes that are obvious in the 
in various wavelengths of light. Like the impact of life across an entire star system can be obviously seen from afar. And so, for example, if some super advanced civilization gets to the point that they're using all of the light from their star, which sounds a mind boggling possibility. And yet if you just extrapolate our existing energy growth historically over the last say 100,000 years of human existence, you can actually, you can actually predict the date to within a few decades of when we will be using all the energy of our entire solar system. And it's not long. It's like 800 years or I forget the number, like within the next few thousand mm -hmm. years, we will be using the equivalent of all the energy coming from our star. And that gives off a very obvious heat signature. Mm -hmm. And so you would see, you know, astronomers have done surveys for this. They've looked out and they've scanned the Milky Way for evidence of essentially stars which are now just giving off heat as opposed to giving off visible light because it's being used by some advanced civilization and they haven't found mm. any evidence of this and they've even looked for uh entire galaxies where the all of the stars in that galaxy have been used by some civilization and there's no evidence mm. of that you could see you could see pristine unused galaxies as far as the eye can see and same with stars in in the in the milky way and so the kinds of searches that would turn up that sort of thing have haven't haven't nothing has come of it i'm curious where would where are you on the competence scale you know zero to 100 as far as the, the claim yeah yeah um I mean, you know, it's a, I mean, it's, it's such a ridiculous thing to believe and it plays so little into my day-to-day -day life as a person who, uh, who thinks about it. And I've kind of dead, my default is like, let's explore the universe until it's proven otherwise that we aren't alone. Like, let's not just take it for granted that we are alone. And so, or let's not take it for granted that there's other aliens out there in the universe who will clean up our mess. Let's clean up our mess ourselves. And so, but I would say, you know, I'm in the 80% certainty range. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely more than 50, 50. I feel right, right. more, more certain. And, and where you said there was a, a, 10 years ago, you became more confident in this. And where were you before, you know, 15 years ago, where were you? And, and what was, was there information or, a just different perspective that caused you to make that shift. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I was where, where most people would be, which is of course the universe is gigantic and then there's planets everywhere and we've barely started to look. So it's the equivalent of, of looking at a teaspoon in the, in a, in the Pacific ocean and going, you don't see any whales. And so you don't see any evidence of whales that that is the traditional, I think, opinion. And I think the, the thing that changed my mind was, was actually my work in computer science um, and starting to understand the growth of the exponential growth, the possibilities of exponential growth. And so when you think about how quickly civilizations could actually settle the entire Milky Way, and it's not long, it's 10 million years. And, and I forget exactly when it was, it was like some paper I was reading or something and they were making this argument. And I was just like, oh yeah, this is not about us listening to signals of aliens. This is why haven't, why aren't there giant factories here in the solar system pumping out robot probes that are, that are then sending spacecraft off to other stars. That's the, 
and so I, and I, I I'm sorry I don't remember the exact paper that that changed my mind but someone had made this argument and it it really hit home for me I think you've already described some of them uh, <laughs> my next obvious question is what kind of in, what kind of evidence would change your mind I think you're saying the lack of this the lack of that yeah yeah those would well, probably anything. be the first answers oh anything yeah I mean I, I can't wait to be proven wrong um, so like if there was a an, an, an unambiguous signal coming from space that we were able to track the location and determine that the information was of non um uh like non earth in origin that would be a slam dunk you'd immediately have to be like okay i'm wrong um, uh, if there was, if we could find evidence here in the solar system of, of these you know, ancient robot factories or just anything that is, that is clearly not of terrestrial origin, I would even say if we could find life on Mars that, that did not share an evolutionary ancestor with us here on earth, that would be convincing to me. Um, there are techno signatures we could we could see these dyson swarms orbiting other star systems we could see megastructures orbiting other star systems james webb when it comes online one of its abilities in theory is it should be able to detect the chlorofluorocarbons in the atmosphere the pollution in the atmosphere in other worlds and that would be very convincing to me so it would take very very little to to have me shift my my worldview on this um, and I would love to be proven wrong, but I just haven't seen any mm -hmm. evidence yet that has, that has, uh, that shifted me from this position. So the, one of those really caught my ear, um, that if we found life on Mars that maybe had a completely different <laughs> DNA code, why would that shift your opinion? Well, it would mean that life has arisen multiple times. So life arose on Earth and life arose on Mars in a completely independent fashion. And so because right now we only have a sample size of one. And so if we saw two examples of it, then that would show us that just in one solar system, it arose twice. Then it's got to be everywhere. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so it's just multiplying that one factor in the... In the... Oh, no, I can't remember the name. This factor times this factor times this factor is the how Drake, many intelligence? Drake equation. Thank you, the Drake yeah. equation. Yeah, I mean, the Drake you know, the Drake equation, this idea of like, you know, what are the number of intelligent civilizations times the number of that survive, blah, blah, blah. It all rests like house of cards on this one question, which is the number of times that life has arisen in a star system. And we only know this happening once. And so... And so we just we don't have enough data to 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 know to place some some boundaries on this with a sample size of one. You know, there's some there are some Bayesian estimates that you can make that are really interesting, but just in terms of straight up, you know, if we if we found it twenty times, then we could start really putting some interesting constraints on what's out there. But right now, we just we only know about the Earth. Cool. This is this is probably not an 
direct SE question, but you, you you say you kind of feel like you're you're taking a minority position here. Where, where do you think the where do you think the mainstream is on this? I've never actually really thought about this too terribly much. So hmm, I, I'm curious to know, like, what, what I would say the main the mainstream is of course we're not alone. That that it is uh-huh. that it is egotistical to think that we're alone. That it is anthro you know we are we are anthropomorphizing uh-huh. the you know who knows what aliens would look like and how they would behave and 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 we're so you know uh narcissistic to think that we're the only species intelligent civilization in the universe mm-hmm. what i say is the is the mainstream a kind of uh i don't even know what the term is i'm sure there's a term for that open-minded would be the mm-hmm. you know that I am closed minded and the and people would prefer to be open minded, agnostic I guess and, and people are, would be I agnostic. Guess, I guess both both camps would be you know essentially pointing to the numbers. Like the, the the mainstream would be saying, well, gosh, think about all the different you know the, the possible number of star systems and all the different galaxies. You know, statistically, there's got to be a chance. You know, and you're essentially playing the numbers from the other end. Yeah, saying if it had, it would have exponentially grown that we'd be getting a sniff of something. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you have different confidence numbers for the Milky Way versus Andromeda versus a galaxy outside the local group? No, I mean, I I feel it's the same. In fact, it's like the the chances of seeing because, like, as we look out further into the into the universe, we're looking backwards in time, but we should be able to see somewhere some civilization that has consumed their entire galaxy rearrange their galaxy into a form that makes it more appropriate for the way they want to live their lives. Just like we see a city, like a city is, is planet or the, the, the resources of planet earth rearranged in a way that makes human existence better. We think more efficient. I don't know more material. Anyway, we do it. We make cities. We would see the galactic version of cities and we don't see it. So my claim is, my claim extends all the way out to the edge of the observable universe. Mm-hmm. I have okay. no confidence beyond the edge of the observable universe. And if the universe is infinite, I have to, to, uh, you know, seed the point that it that it we can't be alone because mm. anything, mm. anything possible can happen in an infinite universe, an infinite number right. of times. Even so, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's only in in the in the finite observable universe that I'll make this claim. I have some questions from the audience. Uh, one person asked, has anyone asked him to define intelligence yet? I'm going to say yes. We did ask. And then I got a definition from your explanation that intelligence essentially means creating von Neumann reproductive probes. Yeah, and yeah. Compared to that's... intelligence or, or, sorry, just having like radio radio transmitters or even local language and tool use. Yeah, I think, you're right. I think that's exactly so it. Yeah. I, would I invite say, you I would to mean... nail it down. Sure. Von Neumann probes. I would say be capable of creating self-replicating robot probes that can travel from star system to star system. That would be my definition of what I, of what I think is not out there. But I, but I also, well, I also feel like once you get life, you eventually get Von Neumann probes. And so that's why I make the case more strongly that I don't think there's any life. Okay. Yeah. But I would say that's, I would say that's a great, you know, and, and, you know, we obviously can't make von Neumann probes yet, but it doesn't feel a Herculean jump in capability for us. Like 
we make 3d printers that could 3d print all kinds of interesting stuff we can fly to space mm -hmm. it feels like within a few hundred years we should be capable of of doing this which is a drop in the bucket in the entire human lifetime okay someone else asks how likely is it that there are civilizations that haven't yet developed the ability to travel or communicate beyond their star systems like we are right well so so you know in my opinion that is that is possible but if they were out there you would ex you would expect to see a distribution of ones that are behind us and ones that are ahead of us <clears throat> and the ones that are ahead of us would be so would make such a dramatic impact on their local environment that we would perceive it and so because we don't see the loud ones we don't see the quiet ones or because we don't see the loud ones the quiet ones don't exist Somebody asks, what does Bayesian estimate mean? Just probability, probabilities. Yeah, just okay. making that that there are, even though you only have a sample size of one, you can, you can make probability guesses based on other factors that you have available to you. What's your opinion about that there might be, so I'm talking about in the 20%, you're 80%. So within the 20 that the doubt um, would kind of include us, I think, at least in this little slice of time. Uh, and uh, how does that affect your thinking about the great filter? And I'm just introducing a whole new idea that you hadn't mm -hmm. addressed, but it's part yep. of this discussion. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So the great filter is this idea that that there are various hurdles that humanity or life has had to jump through to reach the state that we are today. Some of these are in the past and some of these may be in front of us. And the ones in the past could be the jump from non-life to life or the jump from single cellular to multicellular life. And ones in the future could be not globally warming ourselves, not having a nuclear war, not generating a, a primordial black hole that gobbles up planet earth, turning the universe into ice nine, et cetera. And, and th that argument is, is interesting and compelling and feels like the most likely, if, if we are not alone and we are not first, then the great filter, that there is some great filter that awaits us is the third most likely candidate in my mind. But it's sort of too horrible to think about, so I don't want to. But, but even that there, are, I have arguments against many different possible great filters. So uh, I'll go into it. So the, you know, this idea of the great filter, it, it has to be like, if, if, if there have been hundreds of thousands of civilizations that have attempted to break out of their planets across the universe, whatever the great filter is, it has taken them all out 100% of the time. None have been able to transform their entire Milky Way. And so, and so whatever this thing is in the future, it happens 100% of the time. It is un, it is impossible to predict and it is impossible to avoid. And if you think you're predicting it, you haven't predicted it. And if you think you can avoid it, you can't avoid it. And so, and so when you think about things like say, we artificial intelligence we create robots that rise up and and chase us off planet earth 
well, robots can go to space. I mean, this is the whole point we're talking about. You know, we, if we're going to build robots that go to space, so, so, so it doesn't make sense that you can't explain the, the, the great filter can't be, you know, the, the robot uprising because we would see robot empires out there across the universe. We don't see that. Uh, there are other things, oh. nuclear war, asteroid impact, right? The robots can go to space. They can fall. They can chase the space. They can take over. In fact, you would expect the most likely thing to be out there is robot empires, not meat empires. Uh, so, so we so, should meet the Cylons if there are any. Yeah, we should see the Cylons gobbling up swaths of the sky, expanding at 99% of the speed of light, and yet we don't. Speaking of the speed of light, is, is the speed of light, does that, the reality of the speed of light keep you from being 100%? So, like, for example, let's say a galaxy 5 billion light years away. We're seeing it as it was 5 billion years ago. Is the possibility that it may have that life may have developed in the intervening five billion years that we won't know about until the future does that keep you from a higher level of confidence no because yeah. there are there are millions of galaxies within a billion light years of us like there are galaxies within a few hundred uh, a few million light years of us so for sure, as you go farther and farther, but this, as the sphere gets bigger and the time gets older, there's still just an incomprehensible number of galaxies, and so the so the number out there just keeps going down and down as you as you look outward. But so no, it doesn't. I don't really find that compelling. Okay. So, but it, but just back to the great filter thing I was mentioning. So we can rule out the aliens. We can we can rule out nuclear war because a nuclear war wouldn't set us back to nothing. We can climate change, like all these things, right? And even if we utterly wiped out humanity well then the octopuses will take over and if we knocked out the octopuses the dolphins and the chimpanzees then there is life on earth that goes 10 kilometers deep and you can imagine it eventually through earthquakes and subduction and and such rising to the earth and and taking over and eventually the sludge monsters will achieve space flight like w life is really hard to kill on planet earth and so whatever the great filter is it has to take out this, the, these archaea that are 10 kilometers below the surface of the earth too. And so it, and so it leads you to a list of possibilities, which are in the winking planet earth out of existence possibility. So, so I, I'm, I'm not super convinced by the great filter only because it, it does like it feels to me like we could stop our technological advancement in many t ways, coast to self-replicating robot probes and send them off to their other star systems, and other civilizations could do the same thing. Um, paraphrasing a question: Does any of the recent news about UAPs influence your thinking in this? No. So what is it about the evidence? <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. It, yeah. This gets me to one of the questions is like, how do we test the evidence? Because, okay, first of all, I'm just going to ask rather than assuming that something about the category of the evidence or the type of something about the evidence fails to make a dent with yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, can you describe what that is and why? It's, 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 dots on a um it's it's testimonial 
expert testimony. It is um, dots on a video screen. Uh, many have perfectly reasonable explanations, and I can imagine many explanations, birds flying in formation, mylar balloons floating by, anomalous radar signals that would explain them. And then you can even imagine Earth-based explanations, more advanced technology that maybe we weren't familiar with, other countries testing out ideas, etc., that could answer the rest of them. And so until there's some actual evidence of something being otherworldly, it just has to, I have, I have to remain firmly in the camp of just being utterly unconvinced by the, the evidence that's been provided so far. And that, you know, that drives a lot of people crazy when I say that, because they really want you like now, like after hearing the testimony of, <laughs> of NASA pilot, you know, pilots who've seen these things, I'm like, like, like until I can hop in the spaceship and go for a test flight, I've just, I'm not going to be convinced. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to, I'm not. And, and so in, in the range of the, I'm, I'm definitely not making, I'm not saying that the UAPs are not aliens. I, I can't make that claim. I'm just saying right. that I'm unconvinced by their them being aliens and so they have to mm -hmm. remain in mm -hmm. the in the like it's literally there in the name unidentified mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i i'm satisfied i have no further questions diamond bob do you have any i guess one bob, question i i had was you mentioned that it would be unpredictable the great filter um why would it be unpredictable because you would see some fraction of civilizations avoiding it. And then that fraction would go on to, it'd be like, like antibiotic, like bacteria developing antibiotic resistance. The antibiotics mm. are going to kill 99% of the bacteria, but 1% is going to evolve uh, a resistance to it. And then it's going to take over the entire Petri dish. And so we would see the same thing. So we would see 99% of civilizations wipe themselves out in nuclear war, but 1% somehow avoids it and then takes over an entire gigantic volume of space. Mm -hmm. So like, is there a difference between unavoidable and unpredictable there? Are you using um, this Yes, I would say, uh, okay. well, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is that it has to be both has to be on it is it is unavoidable and unpredictable and even if you could predict it you couldn't avoid it but i but i feel like if you could predict it then you could avoid it and so whatever it is you step one cannot predict it and then because you can't predict it you can't avoid it that you that that some part of of making your von neumann probes makes you wipe your planet out of the universe and it's the second you turn on your first von neumann drive um your planet winks out of existence and that's then the two are inexorably tied because if you could build your you could send out that one von neumann probe then you would escape the great filter and you would a few billion years later have colonized a gigantic volume of space and is is evolution central to this argument? Like, is that where the unpredictability factor? Yeah, I mean, I think I th I think 
from from going from life to intelligent life i mean we just see here on earth the evolution you know the process of of evolution through natural selection arrives at the same outcomes so many times wings eyes intelligence etc that it feels like a very compelling answer for how life should proceed on a planet as long as you have a struggle for resources you're going to have evolution mm -hmm. they're going to reach technology of some level and but i would be perfectly happy to to be convinced that in fact intelligence has only risen on earth one and nowhere else in the, that would also satisfy that that same argument so i, I don't know if that makes sense yeah i think i follow you yeah yeah Call, uh, <clears throat> what percent or fraction of the universe, considering both space and time, would Frazier say we have observed? A tiny fraction. <laughs> um, we have observed, I mean, it depends on the wavelength and it depends on the, the kind of, of observation that we've made. So we have all sky, we have surveys of the entire sky in various wavelengths that would see a civilization that has gobbled up their entire galaxy and turned it into a, an infrared signal. Um, just that, you know, as you enclose your star in a Dyson swarm, you turn the visible light into infrared heat that's given off by the Dyson swarm. If you do that across your entire galaxy, then all you see is, is infrared, a, a weird infrared signal. And we have observed the entire yeah, extremely universe. bright. Yes, an yeah. extremely bright yeah. point source. Extraordinary amount signal. of energy coming out at that's right. It would look very, very unusual when it should just be a regular galaxy. So those surveys have been done, and I would say, I mean, enough of a representative sample of the universe has been observed in that way to rule out these civilizations. And then same thing within the galaxy, we have we have looked for those signals and have not seen any example of it. And so again, a representative sample. As it comes to actually like listening for signals for SETI or scanning planets for techno signatures, it's, we've barely begun to be able to do that. Could you fit a Dyson sphere in Betelgeuse? Surrounding it or inside of it? Yeah, you well, could inside it. the surface that we see, it's a very, very large, I mean, for some reason, I have the orbit of Jupiter as the diameter. Yeah, that's of about right. Yeah, it's about the I, orbit I, of that's Jupiter. Fuzzy. Yeah, uh, and and so its infrared signature is. I mean, it's hot for us, but. Yeah. So we. So it. I mean, we can see sunspots on the surface of the of Betelgeuse. It's the only other star in the universe that we're actually able to see the sunspots and and blobs on the surface. So. Um, so it, I, you know, I, I'm not sure. I haven't, I haven't like talked to researchers and like say, could Betelgeuse be a Dyson swarm? So I, I have to get back to you on that. <laughs> I haven't actually talked to anybody. Thanks. But, but I, it feels to me like somebody would have, have brought that up, but, but I, I cannot give you a certain answer on that. Uh, what's your argument asks, what fraction is enough? And I think that's fraction of what we've observed and how did you decide that this and, does and I guess this relates to the eighty percent thing. Yeah, I think that's I think that's like you know there are several surveys that have been done. There's the Wise Telescope, 
which did a astronomers using the wise telescope did which is an infrared observatory it's sort of perfectly designed this kind of thing it observes brown dwarfs it observes um uh cooler objects here in the solar system and it was and people did surveys through this data to look for for either the civilization that have turned their entire galaxies and also for dyson spheres inside the 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 milky way they, they would be fairly observable objects in this spectrum of infrared so it would be very obvious and the equivalent like when you think about quasars quasars are these incredibly bright we now know are the are the actively feeding supermassive black holes they're very obvious they're billions of light years away and yet they're these bright point sources that confused astronomers for a long time they knew they were there they just didn't know what they were and and from my understanding in the in talking to astronomers same thing goes with dyson swarms and type three civilizations the ones that have turned entire galaxies into into swarms it would be a a very bright signal in fact you know sort of the there's a really interesting paper that i read fairly recently just that that technological signatures will actually be far easier to detect than just biological signatures of of non-advanced life and so if you've got say a, a planet that is covered in trees giving off carbon dioxide and methane and things like that you've got a lot of ambiguity about whether or not there's life there but if you've got a technological civilization where they're driving their cars and they're giving off chlorofluorocarbons there's no way those molecules can be made randomly by nature you just know with mm. certainty that there's life there and so in fact the search for technology technological civilizations will give us a lot more certainty than the search for just regular biological civilizations mm -hmm. yeah something about the inevitability of a local increase in entropy sorry i just had to throw that out there yeah yeah <laughs> <Too> yeah. <jargony. laughs> yeah yeah Thank you very much, Fraser. Uh, what, what, I was going to say, just, just, um, I think it's interesting seeing someone who you know, you're both a scientist and someone familiar with SE, and you're very, yeah. It's interesting that you <laughs> have the familiarity in, in both maybe the over, overlapping fields, but in the forefront of your mind as a scientist is, is falsifiability. You, you know, you know, you're you very quick to be able to point out, okay, if, if such and such could be shown to me, then yeah, my confidence would drop in a hurry. And that's just, that's not always the case in an SE conversation. You know, you know quite often people don't, falsifiability is is a foreign concept to them, you know, whereas yeah. you, you were very familiar with it just in science, you know, and then, mm -hmm. you know, throw in SE in familiarity and knowing that's, that's really important, so. <laughs> Objection, and, referencing facts, not in evidence. <laughs> nobody who, uh, no, nobody in the current show has heard anything about Fraser's uh, uh, familiarity with SE. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> no, that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Was I was I objection. too slippery for you? No, no not no, at no. all. No. All right. All right. Uh, it, no. No, nobody on the live show knows about any of your familiarity with SE. Mm. Uh, would you address that? Oh, just, just, um, you know, I'm, I, you know, as a member of the sort of science communication community, I'm very familiar with the skeptics community, although, you know, it's sort of gotten a little tarnished in the last few years. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I found street epistemology a couple of years ago, Anthony, man, about how's, how's it? Magnabosco. Magnabosco. Yeah. 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 And a few, and a few others. And 
I've been subscribed to his podcast for a while, although I ran out of time, but I, I found it very fascinating. It fits my style as a, you know, like, like I try to be a very positive person and I try to be very um, kind to the interlocutors that come onto my channel as well. You know, I get a lot of fairly nasty questions and people like how I handle them. Maybe it's the Canadian in me um but i also just find and so i found that that methodology to be wonderful as a as a just a very gentle very um productive way to have a conversation with someone that you might disagree with that it everything just feels so black and white these days and i just i enjoy being in the gray and i love like step one with someone who i disagree with even violently is like let's find some common ground and let's just let's just wallow in our common ground for a while and just get to know each other as, as human beings. And then let's start to explore where we might disagree with each other. And I wish that more people would do that kind of, of work that everything is so polarizing and everything is just so polemic. It's, it's really frustrating to see these conversations, these unproductive conversations had out there on the internet, on Twitter, social media, places like that and and you know that that if you sat and talked to a person face to face over a beer or a cup of coffee you would have so much more in common with each other than you have that are different and yet all that is revealed is our differences and it makes me sad and so hearing through the epistemology as a as and i mean obviously the purpose of it is to help people guide people from their um uh you know based i'm not, not baseless beliefs but ones that they haven't thought through the evidence enough yet uh is is very powerful and it's very mm. effective and it's clearly has an agenda um one that i agree with right right um, I, I think i think it, i think it helps people one of the things i think it, it helps people identify their own bias yeah now your your claim your claim is is interesting in the sense that um it does run you know, the, the bias is oh we don't want to be alone you know they, some people want yeah. there to be aliens that you know the, they will make a claim kind of catering to that bias and you're kind of operating from the other the other perspective yeah <laughs> the oh we're well, shucks we're alone kind of a thing yeah um, yeah yeah and, and and i think that and i and so and so um you know i definitely really appreciated and enjoyed the time i spent listening to it and and watching some of the videos and i feel like i um, incorporated some of the methodologies and techniques. It definitely gave me a chance to, to stop and think about how I interact with, with people who come in hot on, on the material that I'm creating. And I, and I think it's a lot more interesting. It sort of allows me to engage. And so I'll, I will often, you know, people will post a really nasty comment on my material on my YouTube channel or whatever. And I'll give them one shot. So I'll, you know, I'll come back in a very gentle, very common groundy way. And then if they double down, then fine, banned. Right. Um, but if they, but I will find usually that'll break the ice and then we can have a conversation. And, and many times people have come around and, and, and been productive members of the, of the community. Even if we disagree, that at least they don't have to be nasty about it. 
And I find that very encouraging. Hmm. Well, we might give you a chance to practice street epistemology yourself as, as an interviewer. Um, you know, we really appreciate you coming on as a claimant, but, but yeah, if you have time to stick around a little longer, sure. um, yeah. Awesome. People are welcome to call in. Uh, there's a link in the chat. I'll post it again in here. I, I'm having trouble pinning it because I don't have those powers right now. Uh, but uh, but yeah, if anyone wants to call in and make a claim, you know, if it's related to space, that's even better. Um, but uh, we're happy to evaluate those, or we can even discuss a claim amongst ourselves. Um, you know, I think all of I'm, us are carrying around beliefs in our head right. all the time. So I'm, I'm ahead, curious. Uh, I'm curious what, what your guys' take might be because this is something that I've been thinking about. Um, yeah, because when it, when it comes to you know God beliefs, you know, quite often people are asked to you know believe in something they can't see. And I'm curious to know what you guys think about kind of drawing an analogy between you know, like black holes. You know, what if what if the claim is black holes exist? You know, by definition, that's something we can't see. You know, so you know, is, do you think there's I, any any I, uh, value to drawing so, that? So, so it's interesting. I actually just did a interview with somebody who was on the Event Horizon Telescope team, the people who produced this incredible image of the Sag A-star, which is the supermassive black hole at the heart of the Milky Way, and you know, used these this network of telescopes across the entire planet Earth, and they were able to observe this object. And, and one whole paper of of this was the researcher saying here's this giant list of things that that could that a black hole could be and how this image compares against these different essentially falsifying all of these different ideas as best they could so could it be a a sphere of unimaginably dense shape that that is giving off infrared radiation could it be a different shape than what we understand and sort of she went through a bunch of these possible these possible ideas and even though astronomers have settled on the concept of black holes being the singularity surrounded by the event horizon you know this thing called a Kerr black hole she, she felt it was really important that to still like as you gain more evidence to go back and attempt to falsify all the other possibilities that it could be. And I was quite impressed at just still astronomers are they're you know, they're not ruling out all these other possibilities for what black holes could be, but as the evidence builds their certainty in these other possibilities reduce accordingly. And it, it just kind of shows you the rigor that they go through in this case. And so, if, so if, I'm sure if I asked her the question, like, how certain are you that a black hole is this, you know, as this thing has been defined, she would not be hundred percent. Right. Right. She would be, mm -hmm. and she would be in some, and she's waiting for the next version of the event horizon telescope so they can see the polarity and they can see the, <laughs> any, you know, they can see blobs of gas and dust swirling around the black hole and get a much better sense of how well it matches different predictions. And, and even if you've been able to rule out the, completely different ideas for what a black hole could be. Now you've got 10 different varieties of different theories that explain it. And the images will allow you to narrow in what it could actually be. And it's a, um, I, I thought it was just sort of a beautiful way to see science in action, even on something right. which, which I think people would, you know, again, the, 
the, from an external audience, and I'm sure you, you've seen this argument quite a lot, like, you know, dark matter, scientists have just invented this idea of dark matter. It's like their religion. And, and it like, no, there's so much work that's been done. There's been so many observations. It's a beautiful, right, right. It, it's a mystery. They don't know what it is, but they know that it's there to incredible precision. And, that's a, that's an interesting take because I, I I think about this and actually I present this to a certain extent to my to my students you know and, and talking about how how we keep on gaining more and more evidence in support of black hole theory you know whether it's gravitational lensing or or gravity waves you know and and then all and then you know event horizon comes around yeah you know, we we're actually getting images or the shadow and I don't fully understand all the astronomy of it but um, you know it just seems like you know it, it kind of builds but I like the idea of with this new information not only does it increase our confidence in the existing theory, but it also helps to further disqualify other yeah. possible explanations. I hadn't really thought about. <laughs> kind of yeah. Like even like, a little bit more. I mean, even explanations for dark matter, like one of the possibilities for dark matter is that it's primordial black holes left over from the formation of the universe that there is, they're not a particle. They're just black holes that were formed by over densities from the beginning of the universe and that they're still around and astronomers can't rule them out. And so they have to include them in the list of possibilities, but they are attempting to rule them out through various techniques like gravitational microlensing, looking at, 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 you know, looking at other galaxies and watching how stars wink out inside those galaxies as, as, or change in brightness as, as black holes are passing in front of them. And they're able to start putting some constraints in on what sizes these primordial mass black holes could possibly be. And eventually the error bars will overlap and these things will disappear and then they will have been ruled out. But if you talk to a, to an astronomer and you say, could dark matter be black holes? They're like, maybe we haven't ruled it out yet. We'll get there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Machos and wimps, oh my. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, there are all these candidates. There are probably at this point dozens of candidates for what could explain dark matter. And each one has evidence that could disprove it. And it's a matter of just one after the other disproving these theories until you've got one that you can't disprove. And then the evidence builds that this thing exists. And you will never know with certainty that that that's what dark matter is, but you will have failed to disprove it. Just like gravity. We have a caller I'm going to bring in, uh, Quaid from What's Your Argument? He was asking loads of good questions and uh, maybe even has a claim to, to share with us. How are you doing, Quaid? I'm good. How are you? How are y'all doing? Good, good. Uh, yeah, so I don't know if I'll phrase this right or ask this. I'm just going to kind of say some words and hope that you get the gist. Uh, so um, like a lot of, uh, is it Fraser Kane? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of what you're saying seems like really reasonable to me, uh, but it it's reasonable to me in uh, not taking the position that we aren't the only intelligent life, not taking the position that we are. It leads me more agnostic so I, I'm wondering if uh, maybe there's an issue in my epistemology on it, or I, I also didn't watch the whole show. So there may have been something that you said that was the definitive thing that puts you in the non-agnostic category on that position. Um, I mean, 
I don't know, Bob and Deli, I don't know. Do, do you feel like I covered that in for the first half of the show, or do you want? I mean, I feel like it's like the whole it's the whole argument again. <laughs> uh, yeah, mm. yeah, I'm sorry. Well, like, yeah, so it is kind of a general question. Yeah, yeah. So, like, um, I asked the question about how, what fraction of the universe did you feel like we've observed, considering both space and time? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wasn't. I don't. I don't think I got the fraction on that. But it just seemed like, uh, you know, it may have been such a small percentage that it would. Again, it lead me to. It seemed like you were alluding to the fact that you, well, you did say not much. That was your answer. No, in the in the ways that would show an alien civilization making a okay. significant impact on the space, uh, a a significant fraction of the universe has been scanned at that at that resolution. Yeah, uh, could you like? Is there any way you could like estimate it at all? I'm wondering, or like in terms of an actual quantification. Um... Yeah, I mean, I I don't recall the exact data, but it you know it feels like a representative sample. So, you know, a statistically significant sample of the universe has been scanned, looking for type three civilizations outside of the Milky Way or outside or looking for Dyson swarms inside the Milky Way that you can say okay you know we've we've scanned a million galaxies and we haven't seen any when you would expect them to all be turned into dyson swarms so Hmm. so i would say i don't know the exact number but i would say it is a statistically significant number of them published in a journal article and peer-reviewed do you know the name of that article by any chance? No, I can, you know, I can, I can dig it up for you, but it, it's yeah. like a, you know, there's some, there's been some newer ones that have come out. Um, let me see why survey type three. So I didn't mean to put you on the spot on that one. No, 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 no. Here also, I'll, uh, I'll put, curious. I'll put a video. Here's an interview with Bill Charter and Frank, uh, Marches from the, uh, from the SETI Institute doing a search on, um, I don't know if you can see the, the oh yeah, there's the private chat. So yeah. if you do a search for like, <clears throat> like type three civilizations, wise SETI, you can find papers that, that talk about that and the methodologies that they've, they've gone to try and search for them. Okay. All right. Thank you. Go ahead. I was going to say, Gina asked, and it's probably worth clarifying since we've used it a couple of times, what a Dyson swarm is. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, so if you take the historical use energy use of humanity for the history of, you know, for say for as long as, since we started using fire, um, you can chart an exponential growth curve that, that runs our, it's the entire energy output of humanity. And it's fairly significant and it's growing at, I think, the number like 2% per year. And so if you take that exponential growth and you chart it out into the future, you get to a point where the amount of energy used by humanity is matches the output of the, of the sun. And so, and so at some point, we will be using as much energy as our sun can put out. And then you say, well, what's the way that you would do that? And the way that you would do that is that you would surround the sun with some kind of solar collecting satellite 
that is absorbing the radiation from the sun, using it for some energy purpose and, and then emitting waste heat. Because if you don't emit the heat, then you are making an oven and you're boiling your electronics and, and whatever. And, you know, obviously the argument is like, who's to say that we're going to keep raising our energy use? Of course, but we have for a hundred thousand years. Mm -hmm. So who's to say we won't do it in the future. And what could we ever want to use that energy use for in the future? Who knows, but we've figured out all kinds of creative ways to use energy. Every time we come up with more energy, we figure out ways to use it. We desalinate water. We use air conditioning. We fly our aircraft from, from continent to continent. So as and, and we the, gain more energy, we will come up with creative ways to use it. Right. And then that Dyson swarm will create a very distinctive signature that should be observable right. then to an yeah. outside. And outside we've actually already begun the Dyson sphere. Mm -hmm. When mm -hmm. you think about James Webb, right? You've got a you got a spacecraft that is flying in orbit around the sun that has solar panels on board that is collecting energy from the sun and turning it into science. Um, that is that is the beginning of our Dyson swarm. And so it won't be like, you know, suddenly we'll wake up and go, you know what? It's time to build a Dyson swarm. It'll more be like we will push outward into the solar system and, and use up more and more energy coming from the sun. And then one day we'll notice that we were now using all the light coming from the sun. So that is a Dyson swarm. And so, cool. and so that is the idea of, and so then you can imagine a, an even more advanced civilization taking that concept, but applying it galaxy wide. And so they go and, and surround every star in their entire galaxy in in Dyson swarms, and in fact, maybe even move the stars around in their galaxy into a more useful shape. Like maybe they take their stars, split them up into pieces, so that they the stars last longer. Red red giants last longer than sorry, red dwarfs last longer than main sequence stars like the sun. Um, maybe you put them into a big sphere so it's easy to get around from star to star. Maybe you you have them orbiting black holes, who knows what you do, but you would anticipate that, that just the random collection of stars by gravity is not the most optimal way to organize a galaxy. And again, that sounds ridiculous, but, and it, and, and, and all it is is that if you just chart energy growth. So, so in fact, in, I forget like the year again, 2300, I think ish 2600, we will we will be using all the energy falling on planet earth within a few thousand years we'll be using all the energy in our star system and then within a few hundred thousand years we would be using all the energy of the galaxy and we we have would, no other samples so we can't see this happen in other places so we don't know if that's the path right so that's the dyson sphere would your claim be accurately stated there are no kardashev three civilizations in our visible observable universe is that really the claim yeah yeah i would say i would say that is a that is a nice way to encapsulate it we don't see any so three if you say it that way yeah does that change your confidence no no same confidence 80 percent. yeah yeah okay but i think it's a nice i mean like i think that encapsulates it per beautifully perfectly and it just makes it feel more ridiculous to say these words out loud. <laughs> sure, sure. Thank you. Um, maybe Kurglow is coming on. Not sure. Yeah. 
That'd be great. I'd love to hear the. I mean, please, for the love of God, save me from this unrealistic <laughs> belief. Yeah, I've so, got to be wrong. Oh, and okay. Curlo is not oh, going to save me, so I'm no. just going to have to just flap in the wind, believing something oh, no. ridiculous. I, I, I want another to, week. I know you already defined intelligence, but I'm I'm wondering, like, so uh, I'm guessing you just mean like a generic idea of intelligence like or are you excluding no we defined it a little later in the show so right capable uh, a civilization capable of making von neumann probes that can fly to other star systems right which you said we're excluded from no no said, you said you said it's gonna happen no, I said yet, that. I think. Oh, he didn't say that. that i said that okay okay all right yeah, i said so... that we haven't yet reached that state there might be a yeah. great filter in front of us or for do some reason so... we decide not to yeah okay so fraser do you do, do you think that we reached that state we we have no okay so then are we not included in the definition of intelligence in that well it it, it, it doesn't feel like to me like there's any reason why we won't reach that state right so we are a precursor civilization to the one that has is capable of of traveling to other star systems and it seems ridiculous that we're the only one out there okay there should have been others out there that are ahead of us we would see them it feels like an inevitability at this like obviously unless we ruin or destroy ourselves it feels like we will inevitably reach that state and not in a very long period of time but you would still include us uh, you would still say we're intelligent until we reach that state because we're going to eventually I, well, I mean, we are the most intelligent civilization that I that I can envision in the universe so far. Okay. All right. Yeah. And then we're also like, in terms of other animals, we're also not going to obviously consider them intelligent under this definition. No, I don't think in, there are any okay. other civilizations on a runway to creating von Neumann, any other animals creating von Neumann probes in right. the next few hundred years. Okay. Don't, 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 don't no other animals make robots yet. <laughs> yeah yeah What's exactly that? yeah don't tell yes. your chickens that dolly yeah the second the octopuses show us their robot then they're definitely we're now in a new space race okay thank you <laughs> that's great the chickens are real <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> Okay, so I'm, we're looking for call-ins. Please, somebody call in uh, with a claim or somebody here on the panel, throw a claim out or some topic about the about the about the meta, the meta meta. Wait, did, did you have a claim you wanted to make? I, I was sure. Well, the, the claim was that we should be agnostic on that, but we've already mm. kind of covered that ground. So gotcha. that's, that's no longer the claim. Uh, I can okay. try, to, try to think of another one, though. I will. I will do my best. So, so are you? Are you deciding that you don't want to be agnostic about it? No, I'm still agnostic about it, but I haven't looked at the information. I've looked at some of the information that you've been talking about, but it sounds like there's some new information there that you were talking about that uh, I need to review and look over. Like, especially in terms, uh, in relation or referring to the statistical significance. Like, if it were high enough, if I found out that uh, we had observed a statistically significant portion of the universe and not found anything, I think that might actually start to convince me to take your position. 
There's a so I did an interview with a researcher named Robin, Dr. Robin Hansen. He's a he's an economist. He's the guy who actually came up with the idea of the great filter. And he most recently did a, a paper with some people called Grabby Aliens. Um, and uh, I'll show you the video because they've got a great website about it where they kind of go into the math and the information that is related to the Grabby Aliens hypothesis. The gist being, all right, there. So if you go to grabbyaliens.com, you can see the, the a really sort of nice popular science version of the of the research that that Hansen and collaborators have have come up with and and the gist of their what's interesting about their research is that not only he doesn't think we're alone in the universe he thinks that we are um and he estimates that we are about 500 million years away from meeting the first civilization but it's because because when a civilization becomes advanced to a certain extent they will expand outward at relativistic speeds close to the speed of light they'll be expanding at 99 percent the speed of light and so you will discover an alien civilization because their empire has swept past you and incorporated you into the empire. And so you can actually see the impact of the various civilizations out there through their expansion, like giant spheres moving at close to the speed of light. And the fact that we don't see any that, that the universe around us appears to be kind of pristine raw material state tell allows you to set some boundaries on how many civilizations there are in the observable universe and how far away the closest one is to us. And, and, and so I don't, I, you know, like his math skills are pretty strong. And so I don't, I, you know, I have a hard time having an argument with him about that. Um, but, it, but he, you know, I think there's none in the observable universe. He thinks there's maybe one civilization per hundred million galaxies. So they're roughly similar. And, and that, you know, every grabby alien civilization would dominate our local environment. So, so that I think, you know, th that kind of mathematical modeling and the arguments that they make, it's, it's, it's interesting even because we only have a sample size of one, how well you can still make some, put some kind of boundaries on what could be out there. But it's all about expansion. It's all about the, 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 them grabbing territory and not about us listening to signals or scanning the skies. Sounds so colonial. <laughs> oh yeah yeah and i mean like like i always have to tell people like i don't think this is a good thing right like <laughs> like seeing the borg is yeah. not borg what scary. you want to see <laughs> right and what you want is some gentle civilization that doesn't want to go beyond their the boundaries of their star and they want to share the, the intelligence and knowledge and love with everyone in the universe but but if they're competing with the borgs the Borgs are going to win. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that reminds me of a, a video I just saw on YouTube by Kurt. I, I always pronounce the name wrong, but Kurtzog, 
right? Yeah, Kurzgesagt. Yeah, but they just made a video that was exploring this topic and potentially maybe why we're not seeing them because you would want to hide yourself from the observation of other people. I'm not. Yeah, yeah. That theory is called is called the dark forest, and it's actually mm-hmm. was brought to light in this uh, three three the three body problem series by uh, uh, Xijin Liu, and the gist of it is that civilizations survive by realizing that you have to keep your mouth shut that we're filled in a galaxy of of hunters and only by keeping your mouth shut and don't release any signal don't let anyone know that you're out there you can save yourself and so um and i don't buy that argument because um we have the ability to scan the atmospheres of of other worlds like bacteria has been giving away the presence of life on earth for 500 million years like the cyanobacteria has already broadcast our existence to the universe and so so our radio transmissions are not the threat yeah exactly the radio transmissions are not like you know if other alien civilizations think okay as soon as we see life we got to get over there and deal with that problem so that we don't have we don't have a threat in the future by some advanced civilization. Like we can't, you know, any, an advanced and bad civilization would see other star systems and say, if we detect life there, we've got to nip that in the bud because they could turn into a threat to us in the future. And so we would anticipate that alien civilizations would build gigantic telescopes capable of, of, of scanning the surfaces of various planets around them for tens of thousands of light years and would know quite with, with a lot of certainty what's out there. And so even if you try not to release this, you know, directly send a signal out into space. Yeah. The cyanobacteria gave us up 500 million years ago. So, so, so there's a I, question. I like, Do we know what it book. takes to get to? Yeah. Sorry. Thank Uh, a question uh, do we know what it would take to go at least a fraction of the speed of light uh i think using our current tell me if i'm wrong about this i think using our current technology if we were to throw up fission and ion drives we can get to one to three percent of the speed of light and then of course have to s- slow down on the other side and with fish with fusion maybe it's as high as ten percent yeah, so so you actually can sidestep the whole conversation because stars move. And so throughout the entire Milky Way, the stars are drifting around closer and farther away from each other. And so you can actually wait. If you're a patient explorer, you can wait for times when stars come within um, a few thousand astronomical units of the sun. It happens every couple of million years you'll have a star system like i think glyza seven something seven oh seven ten is going to come within fifty thousand astronomical units of the sun within a million years so like half a light year within okay a so we don't years. even have to go through the so, interstellar wastes as long as we've got right. a Patience. lot of time to get around to it right sure and so if you and wait slow exponentials for, are fine <laughs> That's right, exactly it. And and what's amazing about it is that if you do wait for these beautiful close flybys, then it only adds a few million years to your complete settlement of the entire galaxy time. So it's a the 
you can wait for all of the stars to move really close to each other perfectly. And so when you think about Oumuamua and Comet Borisov, we've had two objects come into the solar system that were formed in other solar systems. And it's thought that there are actually probably tens of thousands of them of interstellar objects. And so if rocks can make the journey, the thinking is that smart rocks can make the journey as, as well. Um, yeah. And then the other possibility is that, is that rogue planets are located across the Milky way. And in fact, there could be more rogue planets than there are star systems. And so the actual distances that you need to travel are a fraction of what we initially thought once we have really good infrared telescopes and can detect these rogue planets that are floating around we can do um you know we can do a we don't have to jump four light years to get to alpha centauri we can jump a few hundred thousand astronomical units to the nearest rogue planet and then catch a ride with that use it as a source of material to move to the next star system so so the more we learn about the universe, the more we realize that it is more conducive to spread than than we previously used to think. We have another caller, Quaid. I'm going to go ahead and let you go, and and if you want to call back later, if you want, that's no problem too. Um, and we have Dorf coming on. Hey everyone, thank you for having Welcome. me. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been a sure. really, um, really good conversation so far. I've learned. A lot of things that I definitely did not know before this, and maybe I still don't fully understand. But I am—I've written a lot of things down, and I'm gonna be studying it with my roommate, um, who is a little bit more into this kind of stuff, because he brought up um, a theory to me called brain theory or brain world. You know, brain world—that we're in the membrane, that the world is a that our universe is a floating membrane mm. that is floating through the vastness of the universe and it's a 3d membrane that is moving itself into a much larger space has something to do with like string theory and like the the origin of the universe with colliding brains b-r-a-n-e exactly yeah. not like yeah the brain not um yeah not not yeah. uh not the brain that's in head yeah and it's like one of the offshoots of string theory is the prediction of these multiple universes that and as they interact you get big bangs yeah that's wild and and my roommate obviously knows a lot more about this and is just giving me little treats and snippets of the information and i'm meant to research this on my own and i have m my own troubles good with luck that, i know <laughs> that's believe mean me. i think believe me i know yeah okay. um, he doesn't want to be a roommate anymore <laughs> yeah yeah that's hardcore i i would if you are interested though um uh oh my god i don't even remember his name brian green, green. Mm -hmm. so brian green has from the a lot paper about he wrote paper towns um so his or is that john that's john green yeah, brian green right brian green has been on like pbs and such yeah oh, okay. yeah so brian green the physicist and so his book is the elegant universe in the fabric of the cosmos and right. he did a he did a series for Nova where he yeah. talked mm -hmm. about string theory and went into brains and provided a lot of they provided a lot of really nice graphics. So oh nice it, yeah it can help you it can help you wrap your brain 
around brains nice. a little better. I guess my only, the thing that I always ask um, my roommate who you're not going to believe this is also named Dorf, but that's kind of how we found each other. But he thinks that, that we could be inside this membrane without it being like, without being able to feel like the fluid or like, I don't understand it myself, but not being able to physically sense that we would be in it or that we would be un- unawares as to like the wetness or the fluid of it. I think you need Dorf to defend this theory. I would have to get him on here and that would be a whole yeah. thing. Defense by proxy. I know. But those those are my main questions. Is there any questions we for me? promise to be gentle. I will all have him come on here because I would love to see you grill him. He, <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not mad at him, but you know what I'm saying. We we do the really light grilling where the marshmallow only barely gets color. Just a yeah, little brown on the Just a little bit and she would be able to and be a little bit more respectful towards me at the end. I think I've, I've just got that song in my head. Insane in the membrane. Who did that one? I don't know. Does Cypress anyone know Hill? who did that one? Is it Cypress Hill? Nice Cypress Hill. Very good. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I'll take my answer off air as a very good conversation. And I respect every one of you. Thanks. Thanks Was there further answer to the question? Uh, he, he would take his answer uh, off air, but I think about, he answered it. I think we yeah, referenced I, brain theory i I, yeah yeah i I mean i I must plead in ignorance i mean i think (laughs) my understanding today is that the the problem with string theory as a as a way to explain essentially the unified gravity and quantum mechanics is is that a lot of work has been done and the theory is kind of exploded and has so many different directions now that it's going that the math is can sort of explain anything and work in any direction um and has hasn't been able to still make any predictions that have been able to be demonstrated in various experiments that's what remains in the world of theory but what is interesting is that the the math that was used to develop string theory has found practical applications in in other ways i forget exactly what it is and so like a a lot of people feel that it's become a bit of a dead end in in research but it's really cool because we learn more math than physics yeah 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 and and that the mathematics actually has now come back around and been used in other applications that have nothing to do with quantum mechanics and uniting quantum mechanics and gravity which is which is kind of interesting but I don't know enough about it. It is way beyond my pay grade. I have a selfish question. It's not about SE, but I have three astro geeks in the room. I have to ask. So, um, photons. Since the cosmic microwave background radiation, I expect that most photons that have been emitted have not landed yet, have not been absorbed. Because our universe is expanding and photons are continuing to be emitted, a lot of them, I would think that the amount of energy that is in photons is increasing on two different, both in space and in time expanding. And I want to understand what is the fraction of mass energy that is in unabsorbed photons compared to everything else. We talk about dark energy, we talk about boson matter, all these things. Is it is it an infinitesimal slice or is it something that might significantly... I'm actually mean, wondering if there's an effect in dark energy, but, that's, but the first question right. is how much is there? 
Is is there I a mean, way for us a, to do a back a of the envelope? To, a proportion to the total energy, which I'm assuming that energy has the characteristics of mass, even if it's not rest energy. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe so uh, maybe something energy. that's only kinetic doesn't have any effect on the curvature of space-time. So, I mean, I, this is probably, again, beyond my pay grade, and so you guys stop me if I'm, if I'm wrong on this one. But when you think about the release of the photons from the cosmic microwave background radiation, like 370,000 years after the Big Bang, it, sure, it was plus the time all the stars when, since then. Sure, sure, yeah. But it was this time when the universe was, it went from opaque to being transparent and light was finally able to escape out into the universe. And so we we measure this this light. But that's, and, and like the entire universe was like the surface of a red star. Like if you could go back in time to that moment, you'd look around, everything would look like like the surface of a, of a red giant. And we imagine this like instantaneous clearing of the fog to go from, from, from opaque to light to transparent, but it wasn't that way. It was a slow, gradual transition from opaque to transparent. And so the photons that were being released by the, by the various atoms were bouncing around off of each other and being absorbed and then re-emitted and absorbed and re-emitted. And it took probably tens of millions of years where it started out like a really thick fog and then it was a less thick fog. And then it really, you know, and then you could look, you, it looked like it was the size of the Milky way. And yet light was still bouncing around off of the various, the density of the particles that were, that were there. So, so I don't, I don't know the exact answer to your question, but it, but it feels to me like there's not a lot of that original primordial cosmic microwave background like it's right, a, right. It's a, the CMBE is is a teeny tiny fraction of that light. Like whatever is left is the stuff that finally couldn't bounce into another particle, and it's not like right. it's not like suddenly it was all released in one go. It took millions of years for it to just keep bouncing around until finally, particle by particle, photon by photon, it it shot off in a direction and it never bounced into anything else as like the final thing, but the total amount of energy that's and mass, et cetera, in the universe has remained roughly the same. If you sort of measure from what was present back shortly after the big bang to now, it's just less dense. Mm. Do, do, I don't know if you guys want to fact check anything I just said there. I wish I could. I can say that, you know, this sounds really familiar to uh, like a math problem that I did in a cosmology class uh, during grad school. Like I, I vaguely remember like a string of, you know, quantifying the different uh, amounts of matter. Um, and and yeah, I, I do think it's a very really small fraction. But, you know, if you were to ask me, like, how do I know that, you know, if I went through, it would be like such a vague memory. <laughs> I have now. Well, one of the things that's really interesting, though, is is that this energy is still out there. I mean, we see the the temperature of the universe at whatever it is, two point eight Kelvin, I think. Um, that is a that is a temperature, and and it is warmer than absolute zero. And so there will be this time in the far far future when 
the only usable energy out there will be the cosmic microwave background and the, that energy differential will be what you'll be forced to use to maintain your civilization and so there's been some really neat ideas like you could for example live in the you know near a black hole or near a neutron star where the time dilation is so great that it blue shifts the cosmic microwave background radiation back into a higher energy and so you could actually as you live in this time dilated zone around a black hole the sky would brighten back up again because you're experiencing a million years for every day of living around this black hole and so you'd be able to continue to extract this energy that's falling upon your your civilization and compress I read a book about 15 years ago that seemed to talk about the von neumann part in the first part and what you just said about the compression around a black hole in the last yeah. third and the conclusion was so we are in a simulation <laughs> well that's a man that's a whole other that's a whole other argument that I'm not willing to defend. I, I wasn't well, very I, impressed. That was, I, I, I've got to roll. I'm sorry, but uh, yeah, no, Fraser, no, thank I'm, you, Bob. It's been a blast. I'm going to sneak out. Thanks, thank Bob. Thank it's you, great Bob. to meet you. <laughs> yeah, were you saying that you wouldn't defend the argument that we are in a simulation, or that right. we are not in a simulation? Okay, <laughs> I would not defend that we are in a simulation. Hmm. In the same way that I would, I would not defend that there's no God. Hmm. The, the question of like, when, like, how far do you go in your skepticism is interesting to me. Like, because you can question this stuff all the way back, right. To, you know, do I exist? Am I, am I in the hologram universe and all of this? when you're thinking about when do you believe something like how do you go about i mean is it's not even i guess maybe it's not a decision but uh what do you think makes you cross the threshold into i believe this you know i believe i'm really here i believe there is an external truth that sort of thing well i like that idea of of um beliefs I lost my, my camera overheated and died. Oh, so I've got to, uh, I probably gotcha. have to in leave. Canada. Yeah. It's I know. Too cold I know. There for that. I know. I know they were okay. the room that I'm in is too warm and my camera didn't like being online for, for this length of time. So I probably need to, to wrap up, but, no okay. and I forget the name, but what is it? The idea that your ideas are loosely held, but mm. strongly evidenced, but loosely held. I forget the exact argument for it, but that's my, that's my feeling. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's a lot harder to convince me of something than it is to unconvince me of something. Yeah, but I don't yeah. know if that's what you mean. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's yeah. great. I awesome. I love to be proven wrong. I love me it. too. I've, I find I it really. I, I learn things then. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's really thrilling. And when there is uncertainty in a situation and really compelling argument on both sides of it, that's when I get really excited and I want to report on it and talk about it and and show that. But anyway, I'm going to run. Um yeah. thank clearly you. my camera has decided this is not going to happen any longer. But thank you so much well, for for having me everybody and uh thank you. Yeah, Meeting you has made my day. Show. All right. Absolutely. Yeah, you've been more than generous with your time. So thank you. Have a good All right, one. take care thank everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.